the four-wheel chase experience. I love it. The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase podcast. This is a this is a team award. As I said earlier, this is is not just me. This is a lot of different people behind the scenes. It's it's really kind of hard to put into words, but uh, just a surreal feeling, and really couldn't be more thankful to, uh, to everybody that uh, helped me get to this point. Emmy winner Nick Olchek. What's up, man? It's been a little while since we've uh, chatted officially on the podcast front. Yeah, well, nice to be with you. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been what a couple of years. It's been like two years, or maybe maybe a year or a year and a half or something like that. But uh, a lot has transpired since then. So happy to uh, happy to be back uh, on with you. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago in 2021, you were doing broadcast. Are uh, you doing games? I should say. Uh, for the Indy Fuel, and now you're part of the Seattle Kraken broadcast team doing the pre- and post-game intermission and all kinds of stuff over there. Uh, yeah, you, you said it. A lot has transpired over the last couple of years. So first off, the Emmy. So congrats on winning the Emmy. Uh, do you have that with you by any chance, or is that kind of uh, boxed away somewhere? Yeah, I've got it in the protective box yeah. right now. Uh, hopefully, should I be able to be fortunate enough to win uh, a couple more in my career, I might create some sort of little shelf to uh to to put them on uh but just uh an incredibly humbling uh experience uh to know that though i was one of a couple to get a trophy um you know to know that uh, so many other people behind the scenes uh are in my mind uh the most important part of a broadcast or, or of a show uh, no matter what the case is, uh, the producer, the director, the EVS operators, the graphics people, everybody, the camera people, everybody that has a hand uh, in making the show run uh, to allow someone like myself to be able to get on air. Uh, those are the, the really important people that really are the oil that that make the machine go. And uh, I felt like it was a great year for us. And there are going to be those years where you get nominated. Uh, those years where uh, you think you have a great year and you don't even get nominated, but just to to be nominated uh, to win an Emmy is is extremely special. And I felt like our crew, our show, not only was at an elite level, uh, but at an elite level consistently. And I think that's what separates the good shows from the average shows. No different what separates a great player in any sport. Uh, from an amazing player is the consistency in the elite level that you're able to perform at night in and night out, game in and game out. So, yeah, super uh, exciting to uh, to have won my first Emmy. It's kind of a surreal feeling for me. Um, and, and I really, you know, when I go through it, uh, I think to all the people that helped me along the way, uh, the people that gave me my first opportunity, the Indy Fuel, as you had just brought up. Uh, you know, to be able to do games there, get reps under my belt, kind of establish myself as a broadcaster and then move into the Chicago Blackhawks and now with the Kraken who have been so supportive and incredible uh, for me and my family. So look, it's uh, it's been a great run so far after one year, hoping for a lot of years to come. But uh, when you get recognized in winning your, uh, your very first Emmy, it's uh, an extremely special and humbling, uh, humbling feeling. How long did you know that you were, I guess, in the running or a nominee leading up to it when when those awards were handed out? 
Yeah, the uh, National Emmy Association, or, or however the uh, uh, the branding is, uh, had let us know a couple. Uh, I think it was about uh, a couple months prior uh, that that we were on the radar, and uh, you know, just to be on the lookout. And and actually, uh, they had a big ceremony, and um, I was actually on my brother's bachelor party uh, when the ceremony happened. So I wasn't there, uh, but found out we won through the grapevine, and and uh, had was able to go pick up the trophy. So, uh, yeah, incredible experience. Very, very fortunate. And, uh, yeah, we, we'd kind of known for a little bit that we at least were in the running. Uh, but, uh, it's kind of a, a, a thought that's in the back of your mind until the final decision is made because you, know, you don't want to get too, you know, you don't want to get your hopes too high, uh, or, or too low or whatever the case is. You just take it as it comes and we won. So it was, uh, just an incredible feeling. Yeah, that is awesome. And yeah, congrats yeah. again. And yeah, Thank I mean, you're in your first year, uh, you know, with the Kraken, obviously a great experience, I imagine, out there. And then, of course, you're one for one with that team as far as them going to the playoffs with you, you know, yeah. being a part of that broadcast team out there. Um, and also, before we get kind of to the Kraken season real fast, um, mm-hmm. you talked about just the consistency of the broadcast team. And yeah, you probably have one of the best broadcast teams, obviously, with your father, Eddie Olchek, John Forslund, JT Brown, and everyone else, Allison Lucan, who... Um, I am familiar with as part of the Blue Jackets and the Athletic, but mm-hmm. yeah, so just awesome, awesome team out there. Really fun to watch on TV. The Athletic actually ranked the Kraken as the number one broadcast crew, which I don't think many people are surprised about, but just really awesome yeah. all around. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think when you can have such a national presence uh, as we do on our broadcast, um, it's something that I think brings instant credibility. Uh, when you look at a guy like John Forslund, who is a national broadcaster and a guy that's been doing it at the highest level for a long, long time. And, and of course, my dad, too. Uh, the, the resume and the history speaks for itself. To have both of those guys and JT Brown, who brings that new blood, uh, the new generation of player and sees things at times from a different angle from those guys, which is important, which is great. Uh, to be able to have that dialogue back and forth. Uh, I think it's been an incredible fit. Um, and you've got the great camaraderie that that Johnny and Edzo have. You watch a game with those guys doing it, uh, you're going to learn something, and you're probably going to have tears from laughter. Because when those guys get going, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun time. Um, and you add JT into the mix, who's witty. Uh, and obviously knows the game at the highest level uh, and a guy that, that, that had a great year as well. Uh, it just is a well-oiled machine and everybody's in it for the right reasons. Everybody wants the very best broadcast from the in-game guys to, to us, you know, in, in between the periods and the pregame show and the postgame show and getting a chance to, to work with Allison Lucan this year was, was awesome. Uh, love the way that she approaches the game. I love the way she sees the game and is able to present the way that she sees it uh, in a way that is is both uh, analytical, uh, but also takes into consideration, of course, the eye test um, and, and her resume and her history and her experience speaks for itself. So to be able to work with her has just been, I think, has made me a better broadcaster because naturally I look at the game from an eye test point of view. And now all of a sudden there's different numbers and there's different stats and there's a whole nother way to see the game, which is kind of where she attacks it from. I think it really complements the broadcast in a great way. Um, and to have that back and forth has, has just been awesome. And I really do think that her work 
uh, has made me a better broadcaster. So really, really thankful uh, for her and all her support and being able to work with her. Um, and our, our two hosts, Tom and Ross, do a, do a great job too, keeping things light, keeping things on the rails at times when maybe I like to uh, have a little bit too much fun. Um, and, and our producer, Scott Malone, uh, always making sure that we're uh, we're paying the bills with the commercials and the ads and, and everything and and uh, making sure that at times sometimes when I get a little writer's block he's able there to able to kind of keep me uh, keep me on track so we just have a great team um, and, and and as I said earlier people that are in it for the right reasons no, nothing no personal reasons no ego everybody just wants the best show and I think this really uh, symbolizes that uh, in, in a huge way you mentioned all the the people part of it, huge team, obviously behind the scenes. So it's really awesome for everyone involved. And you know, when I when I talked with John going into the first season of the Kraken, he was predicting playoffs, and that didn't happen. But a year later, they went to the playoffs. They knocked out the Avalanche. They got to the second round, and that's huge. I think for any expansion team to have that kind of success, you know, after what the Golden Knights have done, it kind of raises the bar. But still, the Kraken had a huge year. So going into your first season as part of that broadcast team and covering the Kraken and seeing them every single day, what was your expectations going into the year? And also, what did you learn just from being around that team and being a part of everything that you saw out there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what the expectation for me wasn't. And the expectation wasn't 100 points. I mean, for them to have done what they did was extraordinary. It was deserved. Um, and it wowed a lot of people and opened up the eyes of the hockey world that this team is not just a good team, but they're a good team night in and night out. And that's what separates the good teams from the really, really good teams. Um, I thought coming into this season, they were going to be a bubble playoff team. I really did. I thought that playoffs were very much in the mix with some of the additions that they made. Uh, sure. They were the third worst team last year. And there were some people saying they were not going to make the playoffs. They were going to be just as bad. Well, when you go out and you trade for a guy like Oliver Bjorkstrand, which Ronnie Francis did, the great GM of the Seattle Kraken, he sends a third and a fourth round pick to Columbus, and you get a guy that could very well be a perennial 30-goal scorer coming off a year the year before last where he had 28, over 20 goals this year. Um, so a really solid year for him. You bring that injection of offense. And not just the offensive side, but this is a guy that went for – through some dry spells this year, that being Bjorkstrand, who where maybe the goals weren't there, but the hard play, the compete, the effort, the blocking shots, everything, a little bit of physicality too, that was all there in his game. And so that to me is when you're a guy that gets paid to score, which he is, and when the goals aren't there, how do you help your team? Well, he helped in a lot of different facets, as I mentioned just a little bit earlier, whether it be defensively or dragging his team into the fight when maybe they didn't have their legs uh, on a couple different occasions during the season. Uh, and you bring in, you sign a guy like Andre Burakovsky, who battled some injuries this year, but when he was in the lineup, as he went, so did the offense of this team. Extremely important on the power play, especially carrying the puck into the zone and establishing that all-important zone possession for the team. When he went down, I think the power play struggled a little bit because they found it hard to get into the zone. It's hard to find those guys that want to carry the puck in and have not just the ability to make moves and beat guys one-on-one, -on -one, but just to be patient and hang on to the puck and protect it and spin off and create some space uh, for everybody else on the man advantage. So those two guys in particular for me, Bjorkstrand and Burakovsky, adding those guys to the, to the equation 
was huge. And I think a really, really big reason why this team was able to go from third worst to a hundred points, the best improvement of points and wins for an expansion team going from their first year to their second year. That speaks volumes. You get a huge leap from Vince Dunn, who had a nice year his first year with the Kraken and then leads the team in points among defensemen this last season. There were streaks where he was unstoppable. And and I think the biggest thing for Dunner is going from last year, or excuse me, the year one of the Kraken to last year was he took a little bit of risk out of his game. And he's got that offensive flair. He wants to jump into the play. He wants to be aggressive. But he took a little bit of the over-aggressiveness and knowing that there's a time to pick your spot of, I'm not going to jump into the play all the time. So he took a huge step. The points were there. His contract is up. He's a restricted free agent, so he's going to get a payday. Uh, but I think he took a huge step. And, and his pairing, too. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Adam Larson who was as rock solid and steady as you could possibly want in a defenseman. And I think those two guys pair so well together because Dunner, more of an offensive-minded guy, when he's going to go, when he's going to lug the mail, he's going to jump into the rush, you know you've got Adam Larson to stay back and kind of protect the house and act as that safety valve. But don't get it twisted. Lars likes to jump into the play too. And there were occasions this year where he'd lug the mail and he'd make a play and he'd lead the rush. Um, and he had a pretty damn good offensive season too, career highs and goals, points and assists. So uh, a lot there. Um, and, I, and I do want to put the cherry on top uh, with a great year from Philip Grubauer. I mean, there were a lot of people saying that is this guy the guy? Tough first year for him here in Seattle. Tough first year for a lot of guys. You're coming. It's the pandemic year. You know, you, you really can't get out. You can't explore. Everyone's coming to a brand new team. And everyone struggled the first year. But I think Grooby this last season in his second year as part of the Kraken proved that not only is he a, is he a elite level goaltender in the National Hockey League, uh, but a bona fide starter. And he battled an injury early in the season. But once he came back from that, when he needed the most, he was there. And he was nothing short of astounding in the playoffs. There were games where he needed to keep him in. He needed to make a big save at a big moment. And he did just that. So Bjorkstrand, Burakovsky, Dunn, Larson, Grubauer, I could go on and on. We haven't even talked about Matty Beneers yeah. uh, in the great rookie yeah. season that he had. But uh, this team is is looking very, very bright. The future is very bright for this for this club. And the best thing about it is a lot of these core guys, Grubauer and Burakovsky and Bjorkstrand and Beneers, these guys are going to be here for a long time to come. And I think that's perhaps the, the greatest thing about it. Yeah, I think – I think it was predictable. I mean, I know, we all know why Columbus had to let a guy like Bjorkstrand go just from yeah. a salary cap and all that. Mm-hmm. Having to pay, having to pay Patrick Lyonet, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and definitely a player that a lot of people were going to miss. And I think everybody knew he was going to be Seattle's gain just because of what you just mentioned, all the stuff that he brings, yeah. all the attributes he has. So yeah, very impactful player, both sides of the puck out there. Um, and yeah, you said Matty Beniers, and I was watching the rookie scoring race down the down the end there with uh, everyone in general, just a great rookie class, you know, uh, whether it was guys like Marchenko and Johnson in Columbus and Wyatt Johnson in Dallas and Maddie out in Seattle, just a lot of uh, really fun, a, cr- a fun crop of young guys and just more, of course, coming into this year's draft here soon. And with the Kraken, what are you maybe thinking about with their offseason in terms of things they might look to do or even improve upon or how active, I guess, do you think they might be? 
Well, I think there's going to be moves made if it makes sense. And you look at Ronnie Francis and his staff and their history together, uh, which does include my uncle Rick Olchek, by the way. Got to give him, uh, got to give him a shout out. Uh, they've never been ones to just make moves to make a splash. Like you look at the trade deadline this past season, uh, the Kraken didn't do anything. And they, they, they picked up Ellie Tolvin in there off waivers a little bit before the deadline, which I think could very well go down as the best waiver wire pickup ever with the production that he was able to bring uh, to this team. And, and hopefully he'll be back uh, next season. So maybe get him signed, take care of Vince Dunn um, if, if he's in the plans moving forward, which I hope and, and I think he will be. Um, but look, I think this you could always use some depth uh, on the forward group. I know Ryan Donato's contract is up. Uh, so why not add uh, a guy to complement your bottom six? I know Carson Soucy's contract is up on the back end, so you need to bring in another defenseman unless a couple of the young guys down in Coachella Valley can take that next step. I know a guy by the name of Riker Evans, and if you don't know that name, I'm going to plant the seed now. He is going to be a, a stud defenseman in this league when he's able to get his feet wet. He's performing in a huge way down in the American Hockey League for the Coachella Valley Firebirds, the Kraken's American Hockey League team uh, this season, who are in the finals, by the way, against the Hershey Bears uh, and having just an awesome season. Another guy like named Ty Nelson, who is a prospect for this Kraken uh, team and organization. Can he take the next step? But uh, as far as additions going out, free agency, I think there could be some moves made to, as I said, sure up the bottom six maybe add another defenseman or two. But uh, I think these this team has organizational depth, and they got some guys in the pipeline that they could certainly trust to, to kind of take that next step and come into training camp next year and, and not just hold a roster spot and not just fill a pair of skates, but to come in and really make an impact. And now the foundation's here, now that you have that great veteran core of leadership, when you talk about a guy like Yanni Gord, who's won two Stanley Cups and he's got an incredible amount of experience at this level and as, as hard of a worker on the ice and off the ice as there is. You think about a guy like Jordan Eberle, who's played over 950 games in the National Hockey League. He's been to pretty much every situation and scenario you possibly could. So to have guys like that in the room for when young guys come in uh, is so big and so huge. And that's why I think Maybe you don't need to go out and make a huge splash and splash in free agency because if you got some young guys that can be mentored by some of these older guys on this team, uh, that's just as good as as going out and signing a big free agent, uh, and you can get them for a little bit cheaper and knowing that they're going to be here uh, be here for a long time to come. So uh, as far as free agency goes, sure, maybe you go out and you sign uh, a depth forward or a defenseman that can slot in there and maybe bring a little bit more veteran leadership uh, to this club, but. Where they stand right now uh, as roster as is, if you can sign done, I really like where they're at. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see uh, a couple steps that some of these younger players can can take next season too. Yeah, they look like a team that's definitely going to just con- continue to be better and get better, um, yeah. a force to kind of contend with in the across the league. And I've never been out to Seattle, but Climate Pledge Arena looks really cool. It looks like a really, yeah. really awesome uh, uh, environment out there. No expense was spared in the building and making yeah. uh, of Climate Pledge Arena. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Uh, they've got a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, my first ever experience with the uh, 
Amazon just walk out stores where you, you walk through the little turnstile, you plug in your credit card, you take it out, you put it back in your wallet, in your pocket, and then you walk into this area where they've got food. You take food in your arms, you walk out, and somehow it charges your credit card the exact amount of, of what you have. I still have zero clue how it works, uh, but just incredible technology in, in that in, in Climate Pledge Arena. Uh, as I said, no expense was spared. It's just it really is the most beautiful arena I've ever been in, and I'm not saying that biased. I'm not saying that because I work for the Kraken and I get to call Climate Pledge Arena uh, my workplace for uh, for a 41 nights uh, out of the season. Uh, but it really is something that that has for everybody in the atmosphere too. I've got to give some love to our in-game uh, atmosphere, in-game experience crew uh, who do wonders uh, to make sure that whether you're a hardcore hockey fan or whether you're a first-time hockey fan, when you go to a Seattle Kraken hockey game at Climate Pledge Arena, not only is the food going to taste good, not only is the merchandise going to look good, but you're going to have a great experience the music and the different graphics they put up on the scoreboard and the fan engagement uh, games that they play on the Jumbotrons, uh, the, the, the twins are what they call them because they've got the two video boards, one on either side, which has never been done before in a National Hockey League rink. Most of them are there. Mostly there's just one right above center ice. So it's just it's cool. It's modern. It's futuristic. It's forward thinking. And all the plans that went into it. Um, really came to fruition in a great way. And it's not just hockey games, it's concerts, it's events, it's everything that goes on there. Uh, they went about it the right way, which being able to be around uh, the Kraken organization on a day-to-day -day basis, you talk about doing things the right way, uh, they do things the right way. And it starts from the top, incredible ownership group. You got Todd Lightwicky, who has built this thing from the ground up, Victor DeBonis, the day-to-day -day operations, making sure everything's squared away, doing just an incredible job and, and on down the line. So this team and this organization uh, didn't only have a great year on the ice, but the foundation and the people that are running it are not only the right people for the job, but the right people who are doing it for the right reasons. And that's to me why this past year was so successful. And this team is going to have a lot of success moving forward in its history. Yeah. It sounds like they've got a lot of, uh, good key foundational parts all over the place. So yeah, it's really cool to see what they've been doing so far. Obviously, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but you did work as kind of part of the Blackhawks last year, a little bit of, I think, radio and filling in on TV a little bit. Uh, you were also, I think, doing a lot of, it looked like you were doing a lot of travel to uh, the TNT uh, studios, right? Or at least doing uh, yeah. a lot of the production element, uh, things like that. So uh, you've kind of had a hand in a lot of different aspects from the broadcast perspective to doing, I don't know, with TNT, were you like in a truck or was it the studio or kind of how did that work? Yeah, so uh, TNT, uh, I was, uh, my title was associate producer, but uh, I worked with uh, with a telestration software um, called Hego, which uh, essentially is kind of a coloring book where I would clip off a goal or I would clip off a play and I would load that into the software and I would let it play out. I would kind of calibrate a little rink on top of the actual rink that was in the picture, which then allowed me to add arrows and to be able to pause the video, 
do like a little highlight beam coming from the sky to say, hey, watch for this guy. And then when the pause would come off and it'd start to play, that little spot shadow would be able to follow him around, kind of show you his path. It would be able to add little trackers underneath the guy, uh, uh, passing tracers and being able to keep a better eye on where the puck is going, just to kind of illustrate what exactly was going on. So that's what I had actually been doing for for three years for NBC Sports Chicago and the Chicago Blackhawks pregame, intermission and postgame shows, uh, being able to provide those types of 15 to 30 second clips to the on-air analysts. And when I was working for NBC Chicago, it was Patrick Sharp and Jamal Mares and Steve Conroy and, and Stu Grimson at times, guys that, that I look up to and guys that being able to work with them from kind of a behind the scenes role helped me, helped me see the game in a little bit of a different way. And in those situations, I was just a sponge. I, I, I tried to be able to, to be in there and learn as much as I could from from those guys who played in the National Hockey League uh, for a long, long time. And then getting the chance to, to work with the TNT crew, doing that very same thing. A little bit of a different software. Um, with NBC Sports Chicago, we, we were using Libero. Um, and then getting to uh, getting to TNT, we were using uh, – Chiron is kind of the mother company. And Hego being kind of the, the Hego paint being the actual software where I'm working with. And and like I said, it's kind of was kind of my canvas – uh, to paint and to draw on and to explain what was going on. Now, keep in mind, you know, what I'm doing now is my dream. It is my passion. Uh, I love talking about the game and, and being a broadcaster and being an analyst and being able to make the complex a little bit more simple. But I knew that to get my foot in the door, to do these all other sorts of jobs uh, would be really, really important for me to kind of be able to know and to see how the production aspect of it takes place from more of a behind the scenes role. So then hopefully I'm looking at it as, okay, if I get a chance to be a broadcaster, I'll know what goes on behind the scenes, how to ask for things, when to ask for things, more importantly, when not to ask for things where, and when everybody's in the midst of trying to create what they're doing uh, for the show. Um, but I really, really do think that my work behind the scenes at NBC, at NBC sports, Chicago at TNT, uh, made me into a better broadcaster. And I think the most important thing with that is is being able to earn a respect uh, from people that work in the truck and people that work in the studio and the EVS operators and the graphics workers is that, okay, this guy knows what it's like. He, he sat in this chair. He's done a little bit of everything on the production side, so he knows how it works. And I think just be able to have that that equal respect of not only do they know that I get it, but I know the work and the hours that they put in getting their hours before I get there to make sure that everything's ready. So that would that way when the talent comes and they're ready to go on air, everything's smooth, everything's ready to rock. So, um, yeah, doing all those things really helped me in a huge way. And I would recommend, uh, to anybody that, that wants to get into it, that wants to be a broadcaster, uh, the more you understand of how the ingredients are made, uh, that's how you know uh, when eventually whenever you get to the main entree, uh, you'll have a better idea as, as far as everything that went into it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And also, I just remember, you know, with like your Instagram stories, it looked like you were traveling every day or every week. And, and in that kind of three-year span where I was really doing three jobs and, and, and hustling and working my, working my rear end off is, you know, every weekend – uh, for those three, three and a half years, it would, would drive from Chicago, which is where I was living at the time, 
down three and a half, four hours to Indianapolis to call Indy Fuel Games. Uh, and Jim Hallett gave me the opportunity down there, the great owner of the Indy Fuel. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my broadcast partner down there, Andrew Smith, who was just incredible, uh, allowing me to get my start and and really helping form and shape me into a broadcaster, being able to work with him. Uh, I owe him so much in my career. Um, so doing that every weekend and then during the week, driving from the Northwest suburbs of Chicago downtown to do the Blackhawk games, the pre intermissions and post. And then pretty much every Wednesday during those season, um, flying down to Atlanta, fly down there on a Tuesday, do the TNT studio show on a Wednesday and then get right back to Chicago Thursday because probably the Blackhawks were playing at that time or needed to get home to then get down to Indy. So uh, that was uh, a great run for me. I love the travel uh, aspect of it, get to see new places. Um, but just a, a really uh, hardworking couple of years for me, uh, putting my time in, and, uh, and it all has kind of amounted to this and working for the Kraken, an incredible organization, and, and, and doing what I've always wanted to do. So. Uh, I look at it as every day I get to go to work. I don't have to go to work. And, you know, last time uh, when we talked on the podcast a couple of years ago, uh, it was right after, because I remember I reached out to you right after you had actually worked an Indie Fuel game uh, with your dad as well as part of the broadcast team. And uh, so I know what that meant to you. And then obviously being a part of the same team together now on a full time, you know, throughout the season basis. And then uh, last year, I believe it was you filled in for him when he became ill during a game. You got to work alongside Pat yeah. Foley. So on the one hand, I'm sure you're really worried about your dad. But on the other hand, you're living out a yeah. dream moment, I have to imagine, in your career and for yeah. you personally and everything. So what was that experience like in the moment? Yeah, uh, I, one thing I can guarantee is that you know, the debuts for most people in television uh, did not take place while their father was in an ambulance uh, on his way uh, to the hospital experiencing a, a health episode. Uh, that whole day was, was really a whirlwind uh, because when we woke up and went to the rink, uh, he wasn't feeling great. Um, and so that was kind of a little bit of a concern, but, you know, I figured, okay, go back, get a nap in, you'll feel better. And then it came time to get ready for the game and saw him on the bus as we headed to the rink and he still didn't look great and just was kind of was hurting, was, was just not himself. Um, so we get to the rink, I run down to the, uh, to the media room, grab him a roll or something just to try and get some food into his stomach. I think I grabbed him like a Sprite or, or a ginger ale as well. Um, and brought it up to him and just, he wasn't feeling really that good during, uh, right before the game. And so it was about, Will, it was about probably 10 minutes, if that, uh, before Pat Foley and he, my dad, uh, were getting ready to, to shoot their pregame show, uh, the little pregame hit before the game started. And I kind of look over to the booth and he's in there and then it gets to like, maybe three minutes before they go on air. And I'm in the radio booth in St. Paul with John Wideman sitting to my left, Blackhawks radio play-by-play guy. Great one, by the way. And, and I'm sitting there and we're talking and we're going back and forth and we're doing our pregame hit. And I get a tap on my shoulder and I look behind me and it's Pat 
it's Pat Foley. And I'm like, shouldn't you be doing that? I'm like, what the, what's going on? So I take off my headset and he goes, you need to come do the game. Your dad's not feeling good. And so I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't even process what's going on right now. So Pat writes on a little note and, and, and pushes it over to Johnny Wideman. He says, Hey, Nick has to do TV. And Johnny was great about it. He's like, yeah, go do your thing. So I'm right now I'm scrambling. My mind is going a million different directions. I grab my briefcase. I grab all the papers and markers and pens that I use on a broadcast. And I had it all in my arms and I'm running over to the TV booth and the bright lights are on. I'm scrambling to grab my IFB, which goes in my ear. And all of a sudden, Pat's trying to be nice and help me out and say, we, we can't have him come in and do the open on camera. He doesn't even know what the heck's going on. I was getting ready to do it. And we're like 25 seconds to air, Will. And this, I'm making it sound chaotic because it was unbelievably, it was, it was just, it was incredible to, to be in that moment and just, have be like in such a fog and and then all of a sudden 20 seconds to air my dad comes running back into the room and he's saying i'm fine i'm good i'm fine and then they hop on they do the open things go okay i go back to the radio booth sit down we do the game first period goes by first intermission i go in check on him still doesn't look great but it looks like he's hanging in there go back do the second period second period ends i go back into the tv booth to find my dad sitting in a chair, bent over, palm on his face like this, with doctors all around him. And I'm sitting there going, this isn't good. Now, I'm getting emotional. I'm, I don't know what to feel. I'm scared. I'm nervous. And I go over, kind of move, move my way through the doctors, and, and I'll never forget it. And my dad says, call your mom. Tell her I'm going to the hospital. And I'm just in a state of shock. And um, the, the incredible uh, doctors, uh, Dr. Burns of the Minnesota Wild was there. Sheldon Burns took great care of him. He had all of his staff there. Uh, the head of security of the Chicago Blackhawks, Brian Higgins, who is an incredible friend, uh, got a police escort of the ambulance to get him to the hospital as quick as possible. Um, and as my dad is being kind of escorted out of the booth and into the ambulance, uh, he gave me a hug, he gave me a kiss and, and he just said, do your best. And I went, as that's happening, I grabbed the headset, I sat down and I looked to my left and it's a guy that I had been dreaming of working with my whole life, the hall of famer, Pat Foley. And as that's happening, I steer my sights back to the ice. I see the Minnesota Wild logo. I see the Blackhawks in the Wild starting to come off their bench and back onto the ice as we're getting ready for the third period. And as you could imagine, Will, uh, three-fourths of my brain wasn't even in the uh, in, in St. Paul, regardless of, of being at the XL Energy Center uh, to, to do the game. Uh, because as I, I knew my dad was in an ambulance going to the hospital and uh, I stepped in, uh, I did my best. Uh, a lot of people had some great feedback for me that game. And, and I just, I tried to do as well as I could, but that was my first experience being a, a live in game color analyst, uh, for, for a television game. 
Uh, so just kind of a crazy way that it, that it transpired. And my dad spent a day or two at the hospital there in Minnesota under the great care of, of everybody there. And then we were on a road trip, the Blackhawks, we were on a road trip and we were then continuing on to Denver uh, to take on the Colorado Avalanche. And, and I continued on with the team. Um, and that's where I kind of got my first official full game working with Pat Foley, um, Blackhawks against the Avalanche. And, and that was just a whirlwind in and of itself and, and really a dream come true on a lot of different levels. Um, and, and to put a bow on it and bring it full circle, uh, I think it was kind of fitting um, that my television career started uh, just an hour north of where my playing career ended. Uh, having gone to Colorado College, playing hockey there at the Division One level for two years, and after my sophomore year, just kind of wasn't happy with my situation um, and made the single biggest decision I ever had to in my life, and that was to stop playing, uh, to trade in my stick for a microphone. Um, and, and after my sophomore year, left CC, went back home. That's when I then did the broad broadcasting down in Indy behind the scenes work with NBC Chicago and TNT and then whatever it was, uh, three, four, whatever it was years later, um, here I am making my debut on, uh, on regional television for my hometown team, the team I grew up living and dying for. Um, you know, as I said, an hour North of, of where I ended my playing career. So, uh, kind of a full circle moment, uh, in that little span of time, but, uh, some great, great memories that I will always look back on and, and think very fondly of. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's a whirlwind experience. Just everything that you just described in terms of how it all came together and in general, just everything that you've been a part of and been able to do. So really awesome to see all the success that you've been having. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, I'm really living my dream, uh, and, and I grew up playing, started playing hockey when I was like three. Uh, my mom says I was born with a stick in my hands. I don't know if that's possible or sanitary, but it was the case. And uh, I loved playing. I really did. I loved, loved playing. Uh, made some incredible friends from teammates that I had. But I always knew that in the back of my mind, even if I were to make the National Hockey League, um, playing was going to come to an end at some point. And there are only very few guys in the league that play for 15 years and make 150 million in their career. And then when the career comes to an end, they don't have to work another day in their life. But for the vast majority of players, uh, whether you make it to the show or not, uh, when the playing days come to an end, you got to decide what it is you want to do for a living. And I was very blessed and very fortunate to just have always known from broadcasting games in my bedroom when I was six or seven years old uh, to 13 years old playing video games, broadcasting as I played. Still do that, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I always just I always knew that that doing what I do now is, is what I always wanted to do. And so I kind of have to pinch myself every day I wake up. Um, but just to kind of know how everything is gone. I've always tried to go about it the right way and treat people as best I can because for no other reason, that's just how I was raised. Um, and, and to, to make sure I work uh, as hard as I possibly can, you know, knowing that the, uh, the name I have is not only a name that I am so proud to have, uh, but knowing that, you know, in a lot of different cases, not only do you have to prove that you're good enough, uh, but, but, but to prove that you're not only there because of a name that you possess. Um, and so just to, to be at the stage that I'm at right now has been uh, such a whirlwind. 
Uh, I'm so thankful to everybody that's helped me get to this point. It starts with my family and friends and, and all the teams, that being the Blackhawks and the Indy Fuel and TNT and NBC and the Seattle Crack and everybody that's given me an opportunity um, and to know that I've uh, done my best to knock it out of the park and, and hopefully I'm uh, you know on uh, you know year whatever it is now, year two officially of working in the National Hockey League of, of hopefully many to come. What you were just saying reminds me of your father in the book, uh, his book, Beating the Odds and Hockey and Life, some of the things that he mentioned in terms of just, you know, loving the game. And uh, I think the same thing about maybe being born with a hockey stick in his hands or something like that. It seemed very, it reminded me of that book. And that was a great book, by the way. I finally finished that uh, a few months ago or so. And so it was really fun to read about his life on the ice and everything he, he you know, went through and you know, with the cancer and everything. So really good book. Yeah, no, thank you. It was uh, going through that, um, his cancer battle uh, was one of the most, I think, hardening times uh, that I've ever been through, knowing that even a 16-year professional athlete, uh, if, if that type of person could get cancer, cancer truly does not discriminate. Um, and, and that was um, a hell of a time for our family. Uh, I think it brought us even closer. I think it showed that life is even more precious than you think. And, and we were always raised to not only be humble people and just genuinely caring and nice people, but we always made sure that we were grateful for the things we have. And I think when you, when you experience someone who goes through cancer, whether it's a friend a parent, any sort of family member. When you hear the word cancer and it's someone that you know or a friend that has a friend going through it, it's kind of like, okay, I feel bad. You need anything, let me know. I'm here for you. It, it doesn't really affect you until it's someone that's close to you. And when it affected my role model, uh, the person I look up to the most in my life, the person I want to make proud the most in my life, my father. Yeah. Um, that really took a toll. And without getting too far into it, um, he was diagnosed and we found out two weeks before I went to college and, and was getting ready to play hockey there. And I'm like, I can't go. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't go. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to leave and not take care of you. I know mom's here and I know grandma and grandpa are here and I know aunts and uncles are here, but I just felt that need. And, and when he sat down and told me, um, Nick, you'll only be hurting me more if you don't go. And that kind of helped set me straight and then went on and he did his six months of chemotherapy and it took its toll and I'd come home for Thanksgiving and for Christmas break. And it was to the point where he he couldn't even put on his own socks because of the toll that the chemotherapy was taking on him. And and I had to help him with that. And it, it just took a toll on everybody, of course, him, yeah. Uh, but everybody in our family as well. And I really do believe uh, how we beat it was the incredible do- help from his doctors. Everybody at Northwestern Hospital there in Chicago, um, everyone was was so helpful and, and great in, in helping him beat it. Um, but I really am a huge believer in, in the power of positivity. And I was always very strong around him, uh, as all of our family was. We didn't get emotional. We got emotional behind the scenes and behind closed doors uh, because we felt the need to be strong for him um, and to be that strong family unit. And, and I think that whole experience 
really brought us together even more. And we're a very close knit family, uh, very affectionate. Um, and, and just to go through something like that, um, you know, not only was, uh, uh, was kind of a life altering experience, but, but something that just go to show that, Hey, there's, there's really nothing that us as a family, you know, there's really nothing that we can't get through together. Um, and so now it's, it's, he's great. Uh, my dad's in a, in a great state of health, um, clean bill of health. Uh, all the scans have been phenomenal since going through it and beating stage three colon cancer. Um, and so now it's, doing whatever we possibly can to, uh, to spread awareness and, and to make sure that people go and get a colonoscopy maybe a little bit earlier than when you're, you're designated to, because you just never know. And you'd rather catch things early, uh, than for it to, to be too late. But, um, you know, to, to, uh, to kind of come full circle. Uh, yeah, the book was, I think, very therapeutic for him. Um, each of the kids, uh, each of the four kids got a chapter. I got a chapter in there and, and was able to say a, a few words on how that whole, whole experience affected me positively and, and in a heartfelt way. Um, and uh, just to go through his career and even to read some stories in there that I had never heard before was, was really eye opening and, and really, really cool. So, um, just, uh, I couldn't be more proud. Uh, to be part of the family that I am and to, to have the name Olchek is, is something that I, I have uh, an incredible amount of pride in, um, not just because for everything that he's accomplished and we've accomplished as a family and individually, uh, but just for everything that we stand for and, and, and thinking we're no better than anybody else, uh, trying to treat everybody as, as best we possibly can um, and, and to give back to those in need and, and to do whatever we possibly can to, to be positive people uh, in the world. I'm glad everyone is doing well. Everyone is healthy and just, you know, continued success for everyone, for you and your dad and everyone that you're, you know, working with and everything. So just awesome to to see and hear how everything is, uh, has been going lately. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. It's been, uh, life is great. I really don't think there's any other better way to put it. Life is, uh, life is pretty awesome right now and, and working to, to keep it that way for, for a long time to come. So as always, uh, very much appreciate your support and thanks for having me on and uh, always always a lot of fun to be able to tell my story and, and hoping that that someone could draw uh, even one person can draw some sort of inspiration from uh, the path that I've taken